This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again. And listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links, and for becoming patrons over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Up all your misconceptions, stay right there, let me answer your questions, I'll clear up all your misconceptions, you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, number 297, we are going to Aurora's Whole Realms to pick up all sorts of random knickknacks as we discuss a bevy of D&D accessories. Joining us first up in, in is the one of the leaders and moderators of the massive 5th edition D&D Facebook group, as well as uh, maybe known by you from a recent appearance in an episode about harassment in the gaming community. Welcome back, Paige Lightman. Hello, hello, hello. How are you today? I am great. Lovely. Weathering the cold in, in Atlanta these days? Well, you know, when uh, you have two days worth of snow days in uh, Atlanta, what you do is you playtest modules for your friends who are writing. Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, also joining us for the first time, his first uh, appearance, but I'm sure uh, the rising star of the episode, uh, from the DM David blog, uh, it is David Hartledge. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Jeff. About uh, five years ago, I started the blog. I figured I'd last a couple of months before I ran <laughs> out of things to talk about. <laughs> Turns out that you can go for years talking about mm. D&D. Well, Who knew? Who knew? Well, I, I, at the point that you started that about five years ago, I'd been doing it for over five years. <laughs> so I knew. I could have told you. Uh, and lastly, the co-founder of what was then the 3.5 Private Sanctuary, as well as the No Direction Gaming Juggernaut podcast, uh, a, a podcast I still sometimes like to claim the teeniest bit of credit for helping get started, even though I did none of the work. Uh, it is Ryan Costello Jr. Hello, Jeff. Welcome, sir. Welcome, welcome back. Have you been on in like I've years? been on a couple of times, I believe. It's been a while. Yeah. But yeah, you've managed to fit me in once or twice. Yeah, right? We try to squeeze you in when we can. You're a good guy, and, uh, you know, you're playing the wrong oh, game, but we don't hold that against you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought we were past this Oh! <laughs> All right, well, so moving past that, in this episode, we're going to be chatting about a bunch of different accessories that might be useful to uh, a D&D player. Uh, each of us is going to take on two or three different accessories, and you'll end up with a whole bunch of new ideas of things that you can add, use to add to your gaming life. Uh, before we dive into that, though, I need to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, an online and brick-and-mortar store that specializes in finding out-of-print products while still carrying everything that's new. My pick for this episode is the Dungeon Master's Screen Reincarnated. It's the second take on the DM screen that Watsy has taken on the fifth for fifth edition. And since none of us are talking about it in our discussion today, I thought I would throw it in here because it is worth mentioning. They added a, a bunch more crunch and a lot less sort of the, of the inspirational bits that was in the previous uh, screen. It's the same sort of dimensions and stock as previous versions that people are probably used to from the last few editions. Uh, you know, it's shorter and, and hardcover stock, so you can kind of see over the table. And, and it's got the high-quality image on, images on both sides that you need to see. 
Uh, I can't recommend the official Wizards of the Coast screens uh, anymore. Uh, it's easy, they're easily the best screen DM screens that I've run into. Uh, anybody else using the new DM screen? I am not. No. I'm assuming it's not system neutral. It is not. It is 5th edition specific. Although the 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 previous one, while not system neutral, has a lot of just sort of inspirational bits, uh, random tables to, to generate, you know, names on the fly or, you know, something happens. Here's, here's kind of a, a chart to do that kind of stuff. And it was good for that, uh, but it was missing some key um, useful mechanical bits. And thus the reincarnated version, which I think is fantastic, um, because I tend to need more mem- more reminders on the mechanical bits than I do on the inspirational bits, because I've been DMing long enough. It usually kind of comes to me. So, uh, it's only twelve dollars from Noble Knight. Uh, you should be sure to check it out and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight Games has been serving the needs of thousands of gamers worldwide since 1997 huge selection of over 30,000 unique products, including discounts on most in-print games of up to 50% off or more. Noble Knight Games is the place for out-of-print RPGs, board games, war games, collectible card games, miniatures, and all things game-related. They ship worldwide and will purchase or trade your titles you no longer need, new, or used. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Just visit www.noblenight.com or visit our website for direct access to thousands of new, out-of-print, and in some cases, one-of-a-kind items. All right, so we are back. It's time to talk about all kinds of stuff, and I don't even have a massive... Well, I have a massive list of what we're going to talk about, but I didn't want to read through the whole list of everything, because we're going to talk a lot about a lot of things. First, I want to give everybody the opportunity to... Uh, to, to, to speak out in terms of full disclosure, is anybody talking about something that they did not pay for, something that they got a review copy of or whatever? Oh, yes. Okay, the Ryan. Dogmite card stand. So that'll be the last thing I review, and when I get to it, I'll remind people that that was a sample okay. for something unrelated. All right, very good. Yeah, everything that I'm talking about, usually I'm the one that has review copies I have to, to disclose, uh, but everything that I'm, that I'm talking about, I, I paid for this time. In fact, one of them I kickstarted, so there we go. Uh, so let's start it off. Uh, and first on our list, we're going to go through, I have a list, and, and so we're going to rotate through people, and each person is going to talk about a thing, and we'll you know have five or so minutes, and everybody else, feel free to chime in with, with thoughts or questions. Uh, but Paige, you are the greatest amongst us, so you get to start us off. Uh, and oh, you- <laughs> I don't know about greatest, but... Uh- you are talking about the Litgo uh, tokens, uh, and they have a set for, or a bunch of tokens uh, specific to 5th edition D&D as well? They do, they do. So this is Litco, and that's uh, like uh, Lima, Indigo, Tango, Kilo, Oscar, Litco.com. They make um, wargaming mostly uh, miniatures, but they have some really cute stuff for 5th edition, and I can't stop buying it. So... <laughs> Uh, they have all kinds of stuff that are useful for 5th edition, including markers for web, markers for traps that'll go in a dungeon if you're using like Dwarven Forge tiles and stuff like that, and all kinds of cool markers for that. But the thing they have that I cannot get enough of is they have character mounts, and I wish I could put a picture mm-hmm. on the podcast, but you'll just have to go to the website. So it's basically a 3D representation of a critter with a round base that you can put your whiz kids or whatever mini on top of. So it looks like your character is writing one of these things. They have a giant bat 
They have a griffin. They have hippogriffs. They have dragons. They have flying pigs and all these crazy (laughs) flying mounts. But they also have uh, war horses, uh, boars and dogs Mm. for small size characters, um, skeletal horses, nightmares. And because of the Tomb of Annihilation in Chult, they also have raptors. So you can actually be like have your little minis on the board during the dinosaur race. So uh, I'm really, really pleased with these things. Now, Mm. when you buy them, you are sent individual flat pieces of plastic which you have to kind of slot together and then glue together so uh fair warning there's going to be a bunch of people gluing their fingers together but it's not that hard i mean you can probably figure it out with a little little help they're more than happy to sell you the glue you're supposed to use as well but it's like a (laughs) like an airplane glue or a modeling glue um they are a little bit delicate, so if you drop it from a height of three or four feet, you might break a part off. I don't recommend traveling with them unless you can put them in some foam or something to really keep mm. them from being bent or twisted. But man, I love the ones that I have at home that we just keep in our table and we're pretty delicate with. Are they they're, are they decently thin? Is that why they're so delicate? I have some old ones from 4th edition, and they're not delicate at all. Um, I think they're more delicate where I glue them together. Ah. So maybe if I was a little more heavy handed on the glue, it wouldn't be as much of a problem. Um, and they're made out of like, um, oh, I don't know, probably four millimeter, uh, sheets of plastic that are all these different translucent colors. Mm -hmm. Once you go to the website and look at them, you'll have a much better idea of, of what you're looking at, but they're absolutely adorable. And, and what, you're talking about them in terms of, of being specific to fifth edition, but every but the examples you've given us are pretty system neutral. Like you know, Ryan, Ryan's going to use mounted things in, in his Pathfinder games as well. Uh, what heresy he performs elsewhere is not. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I love my pathies. Uh, no, they, it is system neutral, but on the Litco uh, website, they specifically mm. call them out as for D and D fifth edition in order to help drive people looking for that product to the right spot. Okay. Yeah, because I used a lot of these in the fourth edition days, uh, and and part of that was the the map driven nature of fourth edition and, and trying to keep track of everything. But there was a lot of like condition tokens and things that we used. Uh, you know, anytime somebody was bloodied, I had a little a little pool of blood I could throw on top of the base of their mini and that kind of stuff. Um, so I imagine it's a lot yeah, of that kind have, of stuff. They have all kinds of they have all kinds of markers and stuff. The other the other thing that I think is super cute that I use from them as well, because I have terrible luck pulling minis out of boxes, is they have a set of invisible characters, which are uh, basically clear plastic cutouts of kind of generic family or generic fantasy um, models. And uh, I use those because I can never draw the boxes of minis that have the invisible tokens in them. So they have things that look like clerics and dwarves mm. and there's kobold and some dragonborn looking things. And it's also, also really clever. Mm-hmm. Another thing I love from Litco is their flight stands. I like them so much yep. that when somebody flies at my table, I'm, I'm excited just to get out the stand so I can put <laughs> their figure on the little flying stand. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I, a flying stand, for those of you who don't maybe play war games or haven't seen one, it's a it's a base, like a base of a mini, and then a little rod, and then it has another little base on the top about the size of a quarter that you can put your mini on, so it recognizes that your, or it shows that your mini is at an elevation compared mm-hmm. to everybody. 
Right. Are those the ones where you can actually fit like another mini underneath them if you needed to? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, so we got two people standing in the same grid. To yeah, absolutely. Make that happen. Yeah, we've got a, a handful of generic ones that still sit at our table that we'll just throw out to mark zones or, or here's the center of the fireball so we can sort of gauge who's going to get hit in it and who's not and that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it works pretty well for yep. that. Very that good. Super useful. Very good. And awesome. And adorable. And adorable. Well, that's important. <laughs> uh, speaking of adorable, um, Ryan's about to tell us about something that I have seen on my Facebook wall about 500,000 times. Uh, and yet, and, and, and it's one of the few rare Facebook ads that occasionally I'll be like, let me click on that and check it out again, you know, because I've, I've clicked on it three or four times and I, I've never quite pulled the trigger on it. So, so Ryan, tell us about the Elderwood Academy uh, Dice Tower and, and tray and all that kind of stuff. Well, I will press it by saying this is extremely expensive mm. and that I really probably shouldn't have bought it. But uh, I was boothed at PAX Unplugged and they were our booth neighbors. And there's only so many times you can pass that booth before you're like, no, I have a couple of hundred dollars to spare on the dice tower. <laughs> on the dice tower, yeah. Yeah. So, yes, it's super expensive. And yes, if you're just looking for a dice tower and a dice tray, you can find it for a tenth of the cost. But you cannot find a dice tower of this quality and just prettiness hmm. uh, for any less expensive. So, mine comes in a nice velvet sack. And I will take that out to describe this. What looks like a scroll tube. At uh, first blush, it's it, which is exactly what they're intending. It's got nice arcane runes carved into it. In uh, I'm not big on wood quality, but they assure me that this is a high quality wood. And then <laughs> part of the top just pops off. It's held by rare earth magnets, which are super powerful magnets. So it won't just pop off in your bag or whatever. You have to put a little bit of force into it. Not like opening the stuck pickle jar force, just enough that it has to be intentional. It won't accidentally fall off. Uh, and then there is a nice little mechanism at the bottom where if you rotate it, you get the little slide that pops open. And I got this set, so I also have the dice tray, which is modeled after a scroll, which fits inside of the scroll tube perfectly, which was also why I couldn't resist it. Because <laughs> when you walk by the booth you, and you're just like, all right, tell me about this product they can tell you about this product and they can list feature after feature. Yeah, so I remember, got I remember nice... when, when the Kickstarter for it came out and I was really tempted and then just couldn't quite justify the cost, especially since I don't even use a dice tower. But I was really tempting even then. I've always looked at dice towers and been like, yeah, I, I could probably go for one if I find the right one. Mm-hmm. I did not expect this to be the right one, but again, it was hard to resist. So my scroll has the skull on it. You can choose from a dozens of motifs but i've got an oracle of bones in our hell's rebels games so that seemed appropriate plus when that character you know dies or retires the skulls pretty much i could reuse it for almost any character so the dice tower is a wooden tray that two sides come apart so that you can uh, roll it up and fit it in time but then once you lock it together the the base is the cloth that was rolled up like the scroll right exactly it's it's a a wooden frame Right, wooden frame, cloth base. Right, cool. And then the dice tower, the scroll tube, fits inside. It, like it, The angle is perfect, so that you can just fit it in a corner. You feed your dice through the top. There's nothing you can do with the top of your scroll tube, which is a little disappointing, because it feels like everything was so thought out that it feels weird to have this little kibble on the side. <laughs> but if you can forgive them for that, you have just a gorgeous centerpiece to your collection. 
Hmm. And how much space does it take up at the table? Like if you've got oh, a, a full very table. little. Okay. So um, I, would, uh, I gotta convert into inches. I'm gonna say <laughs> this is about five by five inches. Hold on, okay. I've got the page open, and they probably tell you what your crazy imperial numbers are. Six <laughs> inches by six inches with a one-inch tall wall. Right on. Leather is rugged, four-ounce thick leather that will last your lifetime. Mm. With your choice of genuine foil-pressed art. I could go on. Uh, now, you say it's super, like, crazy expensive, although although you get what you pay for. Uh, right. Uh, what, what do you mean by crazy expensive? Like, what kind of cost are we looking at yeah. here? So the scroll tube slash dice tower is 95 American. Hmm. Which, I mean, leather, wood, and rare earth magnets, all three of those things, people that do their own crafting know that those are really expensive to work in and just expensive to buy the material for. The rolling tray is another $60 American. If you buy them as a set, they gave me a good price, but I think they only knocked about 15 bucks off. Okay. So, yeah. So, so again, if, you're look- if I... If you're if looking I, to drop a, a $125 on, on a... On a tray and, and and dice tower, it's a really nice way to do it. It's also a nice way to get everyone you game with jealous of you. <laughs> this is like the uh, the metal dice uh, uh, buyer, right? The people who, exactly. are, who are rolling metal dice at the table want something fancy like this. And you know what? Like you, I get a fair number of free samples of different products and whatnot, mm-hmm. so... I have a lot of accessories that I haven't paid for, mm-hmm. so I know the people that gave it to me aren't really benefiting from it, but overall it means that I've got a little bit more flexibility in my budget because I've got cool things without any of the costs. Mm-hmm. Very good. And I made up for it with extreme <laughs> cost for extreme cool. There you go. Yeah, that's awesome. So we're going to uh, move to a, a different sort of category here for a moment, and I'm going to come back and talk about a tray myself in a, mo- in a second. Um, but David is going to tell us a little something that we could be useful in terms of DMs doing maps. Like we're used to to rolling out our big, uh, you know, Paizo flip map or or the Chessex maps or whatever to draw all over and make our maps and all that kind of stuff. Uh, David's got interlocking tiles he wants to tell us about. So David, take it away. Yeah, a couple of months ago, I bought a couple of sets of these interlocking. Um, dry erase wet erase tiles that fit together like puzzle pieces on your gaming table and since i bought them i'm finding that i'm using them even when i've got my piezo flip maps on the table Uh, there's a couple of virtues that they have that uh, flip maps uh, can't match one of them is is that um you can draw things in advance and then reveal them as the players turn the corner or open a door or something by laying down another tile. Uh, another thing is, is as your players move through, say, a dungeon complex, you can set tiles in front of them in the direction they're going and kind of have a uh, manually scrolling uh, map that, uh, that fits on the table no matter which direction they go. But there's one other thing that I didn't expect to like about the tiles uh, that that's making me use them more frequently than I expected. And that's that they're great as sort of a whiteboard to uh, draw mm. or write uh, names of characters, names of places, to sketch a location, um, and all that kind of stuff. I think that helps 
the care the players focus on whatever you're talking about we've all we've all had uh, games where we're a little confused about wait which one of these npcs is the is the other and if and i think if players can see some of these visual cues at least for me it helps 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 them along but uh, the nice thing is is i can pick up one of the tiles and write uh, whatever I want to write on there, make my sketch, and then set it down, and I don't have to try and write names down upside down or anything. Yeah, uh, now, I, I haven't used these before, but I, I've seen images. They're decently thick tiles, yes? Yes, they're like... Uh, the, the two sets that I have are made out of the same sort of material that maybe a jigsaw puzzle might be made out of, but they're two mm. or three times as thick. So think of like a Monopoly board, and then, you know, they're a little bit thicker than that even, mm-hmm. and then they've got a slick surface so that you can erase from it. Is, is it is it a slick surface on both sides or just the one side? Yes, and uh, the ones I've seen, they have an option of either a hex surface or a square grid. Mm-hmm. I've got one set that has a flip side both uh, both sides the other the other set is uh, squares on both sides so mm-hmm. so there's a lot of flexibility on whatever you want to go with okay and they interlock they have you mentioned jigsaw puzzle they have like the the almost puzzle like you know uh, cutouts so that they fit together and they, there's no it's not like just setting them next to each other you can they lock together and so they don't wiggle out and, and move a- exactly right Jeff okay and you've been using so, this for how long uh, just a couple of months, and I, I'm really kind of surprised at how much I like them. Are you using them primarily uh, wet erase or dry erase? Because everything I do is is, uh, is wet erase, and sometimes it would be nice to have the dry erase. It's easier to clean. Right. I use the dry erase, but I just recently started looking around for my wet erase markers that I used to use with my Chessex pad. And the reason is, is the one of the things I like about these is I can draw stuff on an advance. But the problem with the dry erase markers is they smear when mm-hmm. the tiles slide against each other in storage mm-hmm. or transport. So I think the wet erase will suit me better for those sort of drawn advance and, and uh, lay it out sort of uh, games. All right. And do you know where you got these from? Uh, well, there's two outfits that are making the, the, the tiles right now. One of mm-hmm. them's gaming paper. Uh-huh. Um, and they do 8 by 11 tiles. So they're about the size of your hardcover books, which makes them easier to uh, store, easier to transport, because they fit right on the bookshelf alongside your uh, player's handbook. Mm-hmm. The other one is Roll for Initiative, and they're similar in construction, but they're 10 by 10 or 5 by 5 tiles. And I think the aim of those odd sizes is to make it easier to contrive, say, a dungeon where you can have each room or each hallway on a tile and you can lay it out as your characters explore. Do they happen to be compatible with each other? No, no the, okay. the nubs are different. <laughs> yeah, okay, so. that's what I figured. That's too much to ask for, right? Yes, too much. Darn. Uh, and and how you have and so you have both of them. You've tested out both of them a little bit. Yes, I've tested okay. them out uh, of both of them, and they're pretty similar. I think the main differentiator is the size. Now the roll for initiative one. That's the ten by ten mm-hmm. tiles. They uh, they boast that they're both dry and wet erase marker, and I think the only 
real difference is maybe the coating on these roll for initiative tiles is a little bit thicker. So maybe they're not as concerned about the wet erasing. Okay. Uh, and, and about how much do they cost? Like what, what am I investing in here? A 10 pack of the uh, roll for initiative tiles is about 30 bucks for the 10 by 10 or the five by five or a combination. That's a 10 by 10. Um, and then the, uh, the, Gaming paper ones are a little less expensive. I think you can get a four-pack for $10. Okay. Oh, and, and you get a four-pack for $10. You get a couple of those four-packs, and, and that's about as big as my Chessex uh, map that I use, right? Exactly, so. yes. And then, you know, you can just lay them out to, to extend it in whatever direction you want to go on your table as your players move around or your characters move. Yeah, very good. Excellent. Sounds interesting. Has anybody else used uh, any of these interlocking tiles before? I have not. I used some that came out, oh god, probably ten years ago. And uh, I cannot... Tactiles. That's what they were called. Tactiles. That sounds familiar. Yeah, they're... Like I said, it was forever ago. And uh, my one complaint about them is that um, they were a little heavy to travel with, but it sounds like some of the newer formulations of plastic are not nearly as heavy. There you go. Very good. Well, yeah, these are these are paper, so I, I kind of would like to have that, that sturdiness of plastic, but mm, yeah, but they're not they're not they're not bad to carry around. There you go. Very good, very good. So I'm gonna go ahead and take us back to uh, to the conversation that Ryan had with us about his dice tray. Um, which was how much for that for that leather and wood dice tray? That would be sixty dollars if you got it on its own. Sixty dollars just for the dice tray. So, so I recently kickstarted a, a dice tray myself from Easy Roller Dice. Uh, it's an octagonal dice tray with a lid. It's all uh, sort of leather covered, um, and it, and it's this interesting. Really, like I've never been a dice tray person. But this thing intrigued me, and and it wasn't horribly out of reach. This is a, a thirty-five dollar product uh, dice tray. It's it's heavy, it's thick, and it has this like staging area around the outside, so you can hold a good, uh, you know, I think I have probably eight or so sets, full sets of dice in this little staging area on the outside. And then in the middle, there's this big open area that you can roll in. Um, they've got a uh, they've got a nice sort of suede um, or felt lining, I guess, in the bottom of the of the tray area, which they've also embossed. And then the the leather, the black leather sort of cover as a you can get it that inlaid as well. There's different um, foil color and image combinations that you can add on to that. I, I ended up. Uh, through the whole Kickstarter thinking I really didn't like the yellow one with the spellbook design and then I saw the the prototypes for it and that's the one I ended up buying so it's it's really fantastic uh, and I've really been enjoy- like this is a, a, a sturdy heavy uh, dice tray uh, and I've been using it pretty heavily uh, in the last couple of weeks since I've um, you know managed to unpack it and, and pull it out and use it um, it looks great it, it feels great it does everything that I need it to do exactly the way I need it to do it, uh, and now that the, the all the Kickstarters uh, have gotten out there, um, then now they're selling all the ones they have that that weren't claimed by the uh, by the patrons on Kickstarter. 
uh, for 35 bucks a piece at Easy Roller Dice. Now, uh, I am inclined to, to like these guys anyway. They, they have been a sponsor of the show before, uh, but they, they are not a sponsor at the moment, and they were not a sponsor at the time of the Kickstarter. I did this all on my own because I thought it looked super cool. Um, and the, the different designs that they're selling right now uh, include – there's one that's just with their logo on it with a blue felt interior um, with a silver logo. They also have one with a, a Celtic knot uh, sort of dragon logo twisting along the top with a – I think it's a black felt interior. Uh, they have a green Cthulhu um, logo that you can get with a, another one with a black interior, and then there the the purple interior, which is really cool, has the as a raven sort of stylized raven uh, image on it, um, which you know is probably the design I'm least interested in. But that color is really really pops and it's really interesting. So uh, there's lots of cool things, and they make good good products generally. Um, and and this is the first time I've ever been interested in a dice tray and. I paid half as much as you, Ryan, so there. <laughs> Mine doesn't fold up into a nice little scroll, though, and fit inside of my dice tower. Like This is a big thing. Uh, it's, it, like, it would be a lot to heft around. Uh, it does have that nice lid that fits on snugly, so, so you're not going to lose things or spill things. You can use it as storage, you know, have all your pins and pencils and stuff inside the, the, the rolling container with all your dice on the outside. You're going to get along with it fine. Um, but it is it is a, a hefty thing to be lugging around. Uh, I play in my house, so I don't end up lugging it around very much. Um, but it but it's a big big thing, and, and it's sturdy and, and it's cool. So there's there's my first. Would it be too big to bring to a local gaming store? I don't think I would have a, a hard time taking it to my local gaming score, store. I think I would either, depending on how full my bag is, like what am I a player or a DM, right? Uh, if I'm right. DMing, uh, I probably just carry it in my other hand because um, I've got so many books in my bag. Uh, if I'm a player, I, I easily can toss this into my backpack with, with a handful of books that I might want to bring with me. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very good that way. I've actually uh, purchased some of their uh, metal dice, and, it's this, and, and they all come with this actually really high-quality little box that they, they are stored in and, and what have you. Also, those sort of leather-bound boxes and whatever – um, which you wouldn't think when you're spending forty five dollars for for dice, uh, for metal dice, that that the box would be something that I was excited about. But the box is actually really high quality, and so when I uh, and this this uh, dice tray is of equal quality. So I have become a dice tray person, probably because I have metal dice and I don't want to bang up my table. <laughs> so. Yeah, I played on an antique table uh, at one Gen Con. We went to a private gaming party, and somebody at the table had these metal dice, and he just kind of made this cushion out of a dice bag and rolled very particularly onto yeah. that cushion. <laughs> so it's smart of Easy Roller to combine their metal dice with uh, products that you can roll them on. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find the metal dice don't stop rolling as easily as plastic or more I, I conventional had, dice? I haven't had that problem. Um, and, and again, probably because it the dice came in that little box, and I just sort of flipped the lid over and used the lid as a little uh, makeshift dice tray, which it works really well for anyway. Uh, so even before I had this tray, I was using it for that. And, and with that little bit of extra cushion, it not only protects the, the table, but it, 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 it rolls like any other dice. I actually have the same set as Jeff, uh, maybe different colors, but we have the metal dice from Easy Roller. And uh, I find the opposite uh, when you roll it, it just stops dead. It doesn't mm -hmm. roll like a, a plastic die. There you go. 
All right. So next up, we're going to come, since we're talking dice and things to roll dice in, we're going to talk to to Paige again, and she's going to tell us about her favorite set of dice, or one of her favorite sets of dice. Uh, what, is the, what are these Kraken dice, Paige? So Kraken Dice is a company that makes all kinds of gorgeous dice. And uh, I, like, you know, every other gamer out there, have a certain weakness when it comes to seeing a set of pretty dice. And it's like, well, maybe I can live without it. No, no, I can't. So uh, they have dice for every price point. Some are, you know... Eight, ten, twelve dollars a set. Some are thirty or forty dollars a set. Depends on which style and what they're made out of. Mm. They have kind of um, several main lines of dice. Uh, one of them is archaic, and these dice look like they're um, old bone or old stone, and they've got kind of distressed marks on them. So those are really cool. They they speak druid to me or dwarf to me. Mm. They have. Um, Another set they call Dwarven Craft, which are their metal dice. And they have, you know, these cool steel dice. And they have brass and with all different types of numbering designs on them and gold. And they're just gorgeous. I don't like metal dice because I have a nice game table and I don't want to destroy it. Uh, my husband, on the other hand, adores metal dice, mm. which is why we have him his own dice rolling corral. Uh, and he he thinks these are just gorgeous, too. They're beautiful dice. Um, I've always kind of been a chess X person. Like, I've, I've always really enjoyed chess X dice. But, man, it's, it's getting hard to buy and love chess X dice. And these are my new, my new hotness. Hmm. They have um, one of the things they do that's really new or really uh, one that I have not seen in other dice companies is they have what they are called stratum dice where they take three or four different or five different colors and layer them in the molds. So your dice looks like one of those cool, fancy layered drinks almost. Um, and they have these gorgeous, uh, my favorite ones of those are called cryo dice. And they're built out of these kind of clear blue and white uh, acrylics that are just absolutely beautiful. I, uh, I kind of want to make like a sorcerer that does all cold damage <laughs> and uses these dice. They're, they're beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, they have um, a line called Vapor Dice, which are very similar to some of the dice sets from Chessex that are no longer in print uh, that I really enjoy. They've got all kinds of really bright colors, too. Prices, like I said, range from 8 or $9 from just kind of for a, you know, a standard set for the... Um, for the more normal ones, but if you want some of the ones with cool glitter or that look like a starfield or that are made out of metal, you will pay extra for that, of course. They also have several really neat sets of glow-in-the-dark dice. My entire life, I've never played D&D in the absolute dark because I like to be able to read stuff while <laughs> I play in D&D, but I still have glow-in-the-dark dice because mm -hmm. they're cool. I can't, I can't explain it. I just have to have them. And that's uh, their website is just krakendice.com. Kraken, like the monster with all mm -hmm. the tentacles, rar. Uh, krakendice.com. Oh, have... with all the tentacles, rar. Oh, that rawr. Kraken. Yes. I'm a marine biologist, man. So <laughs> I, I can tell you what sound of Kraken means. Uh, but definitely check out their website and check out their dice because they are just absolutely gorgeous. Not just gorgeous. Some of them look delicious, and I'm a little worried about that. <laughs> 
They do. <laughs> they kind of look like shiny candy. Well, actually, there is even one set is named Cotton Candy. Yes, their newest, <laughs> newest set is named Cotton Candy, and it's very almost like Storm King Thunder, misty, cloudy color. That's what it looks like. So, so if I bring the, if I buy some of these dice and bring them in for my middle schoolers, somebody's going to end up chewing on dice. Is that what you're telling me? It uh, depends on which ones you get. If you get the ones that look like, you know, these bright, colorful candies, then maybe. If you get the ones that look like stone or steel, then probably not. You don't know middle schoolers very well. No, no, no. I said that, but, like, I, I know middle schoolers that will eat dirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't help it, man. You know? Yeah. Very good, very good. Excellent. So I, li- I look forward to checking out more with the um, the Kraken Dice. There's al- It's always interesting, like, I was the same way for a long time. Like I was just, it was just Chessex and whatever because it was cheap. Every now and then I'd go in for like a Q workshop or something because they make the fancy ones and what have you. Um, and then, and then I started looking out at, at other places for dice as well. Um, I haven't checked out Kraken before. This is the first I've heard of them, but I've bought some several things from from Easy Dice Roller, um, which I just mentioned before. And it's like, oh my gosh, like. They've all got the same number of sides and the same numbers on whatever, but like just the feel in my hand is feels like a higher quality, you know, than than what I'm used to buying from uh, your standard mass-produced, uh, you know, Chessex sort of dice. So plus, plus, trying to buy Chessex stuff online is a terrible experience. You mm. need to have you're gonna have to buy it through a reseller because it's really. Like Chessex ain't making it easy on you, and that's yeah. certainly to their detriment. I'm trying to remember when it when I I think the last time I bought Chessex was I bought through Amazon, and it was like the pound of dice uh, collection, yeah. you know, because I needed like a bunch of sets for my after school gaming club, right? Yep. And it's like I don't really care if they match. I don't really care about any of that. I'm just gonna buy like two pounds of dice, and I will mix it up, and everybody will have what they need. Uh, and it works well for that, but you know, that's because I was trying to get a lot of dice super cheap. Uh, when it came time to to for me to buy them sort of, you know, parting gifts at the end of the school year to take home with them, it wasn't Chessex dice that I gave them to take home, so. No, no. Uh, yeah, but the the Kraken dice, like, it's, um, they're shipping as fast. I enjoyed mm. the dice that I've gotten from them just far. Happy to recommend them to anyone. Very good. Excellent. So next up on our list, we're going back to uh, figuring out how to map our games. Uh, and David is going to help us with this. You've been doing something with macrame rings and wire spell templates and all of that. David, t- tell me what the heck you're talking about. Yes, I love imp- finding things that I can improvise into great gaming accessories that I find at the craft store or on Amazon or something like that. Uh, as you might guess, I tend to favor running battles on a grid, but I like to try and keep the pacing brisk and nothing quite robs... Uh, the momentum of a game as uh, as an area effect spell when the wizard starts counting and recounting squares and guessing angles and trying to figure out just the right place to finesse that fireball or cone of cold so as many ghouls as possible get into it. Uh, that kind of stalling of the game leads me to favor using templates to mark out the area effect of spells on the table. And one of my favorite ways to do it is something called a, a macrame ring, of, of all things. I have no idea what macrameers do with these rings, <laughs> but they're excellent for D&D and related games. 
they come in a variety of sizes. So I've got a four inch, a six inch, and an eight inch uh, macrame ring. And they're metal rings that are a little bit thicker than a coat hanger and much stiffer in a, in a perfect circle. So um, when somebody casts a fireball, you can pull out the eight inch ring and just see the 20, 20 foot radius on your grid uh, with uh, with no effort at all. Uh, I'm the, the the rings are wonderful for circular spells, but I'm still looking for a perfect solution for cones. Mm. There's a there's a couple of companies that sell plastic templates for cones, but they don't. The ones I've seen don't come in the right sizes. Uh, one set doesn't get the cone shapes right. They're not proper for fifth edition they might be right for pathfinder or something but i couldn't find one for fifth that was the legal size of a cone and another set uh didn't have uh, a circle for a fireball or a cone for a cone of cold so it kind of didn't have quite the right fits mm. uh, what I ended up doing is getting some 12-gauge aluminum craft wire. I got it in Amazon, but I assume you could get it at your local craft store. And just using pliers to bend it into the right shape for a 30-foot cone and taping the ed ends with electrical tape. And then I made a 30-foot a extension for that cone of cold shape. Uh, so you can use the two templates for the longer 60-foot cone. Uh, I like 30, the way they 30, work. 30 foot meanings like six squares, not like you don't have yes. like this going across yes. your house. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, it would be a, it would be a six inch uh, cone yes. and a six inch extension. That'll fit my uh, bag easier. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I'm still looking for the perfect solution, but, but so far I've really liked my homemade, made, uh, made cones. They're, they're so much easier than, than having the mage turn into a pool shark and trying to figure out just the right angle on that mm -hmm. table. You need to sort of stand over it with those those wires and just sort of eyeball it and see what they can get, right? Exactly. It'll okay. take seconds instead of minutes. Very good, yeah. And and the, the macrame rings you're just picking up at your, your local craft store or whatever? Right. You can search for them on Amazon. You'll turn them up in uh, various sizes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think craft stores will have them too. They come in all different sizes, and for, for gamers like us, you're really only interested in the four, six, and eight-inch diameters. Very good. Excellent. That's And that's an interesting, um, you know, we're talking about accessories for our game and everything, but so far we've stuck very firmly into the, like, stuff being produced by people in the gaming hobby, right, and in that industry. Uh, but it's worth sort of looking out uh, other places and seeing what kind of accessories can you pick up from from people who didn't even intend to make D&D accessories, right? Exactly. Sometimes companies are making something for another market and it's just perfect for, mm. for what we need. And some of these markets have, apparently there's a lot of macrameers out there who are just <laughs> getting the best best accessories. There you go. Excellent. Well, that's a, that's a great uh, point to make and a, and a really interesting sort of uh, solution to uh, speeding things up with your maps. Uh, so speaking of, of 
accessories to help us make our game stronger uh, and make things move quickly. Uh, Ryan's going to give us some inspiration and talk about face cards, uh, as well as uh, a little card stand that he has to uh, to make that work. And that's the the card stand you said you got a review copy of, yes? Yeah, exactly. So I'll start with the card stand because it's pretty basic. It's by Dogmite. Dogmite uh, is similar to Elderwood Academy. They make a lot of wood-based gaming accessories. And the reason I bring it up is because whenever I use the face cards, I always use the, the card stand along with it. So what the face cards are, it's and, pretty and the, much exactly the, the card stand is basically just a, a a wooden a wooden stick with a slot cut in it, so you can yeah. stick your stick your cards in it. Picture a Scrabble letter holder, yeah, but for cards. There you go, easy enough. Uh, and do you know how much they charge for that? Yes, they are nine ninety five. Nine ninety five. So that's not too bad. Yeah, and there's varying sizes. I think there's a fifteen dollar one if you really want to, you know, have a banquet of these yeah. face cards out. But these face cards are great for any GM, and they are system neutral, even though they are from Paizo. And it's really simple concept. On one side, you've got either a head or a bust of an NPC. And so instead of just asking your players to you know, use theater of the mind when you're describing a character, and also to give yourself a visual cue of who this character is in case you use a certain voice and you need a little reminder of who he was, then uh, you just place him out there, you put him on the card in front of you, and you could just kind of tap it when you are using that character's voice to show that, oh, it's this guy. He's talking in character. Pay attention to him. Look him in the eye. This is a person in the room with you right now. It's mm-hmm. not just a means to an end PC. Very good. And is there anything on the back? Yes. So there is the official name of the character because these are from Pathfinder's uh, campaign setting. Okay. But uh, it's their official name and a little bit of background information. Actually, it's only about a one sentence of background information. And then a big square for notes. And if you put these in a um, just a plastic card holder or a clear plastic card holder, then you can write on them with dry erase markers. And they'll last long enough. So if uh, you take care of it, you can have information about this character throughout a campaign. Mm. And it's just it's the easiest way to keep track of everything about an npc that i've seen Mm -hmm. specifically how to perform that npc and even if you're not playing in the the official pathfinder setting like pulling a card out and and using the same name and and stealing some inspiration like that that's still pretty system neutral as far as i'm concerned right yeah Uh, especially since it's mostly blank space on the back and then i can add whatever details i want Exactly. So you don't need to be using Grandmaster Torch to know that this is uh, an orc or a half-orc that's been burnt up. And possibly the name Torch is ironic. We don't actually know. Uh, (laughs) He's got a lot of backstory in Pathfinder, but you don't need that backstory to use that card. I also like to kind of dance it around when I'm playing as that character, and then you just sit it back in the card stand when he's listening. Okay. Yeah, very good. And that way, if you're having a a scene with five or six uh, important NPCs, you can put them all up using your little card stand and everybody can see who's there and what and what's going on and then you're just pointing at each one as you're as you're doing the voice. I'd have to I'd have to put like notes on the back of of what horrible voice that I'd use for this character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've got the Pathfinder Society deck right here. Uh-huh. Paizo has dozens of these decks so you can just find the theme like um, enemies is one, dungeon dwellers is one. Uh, there's the ones for the different uh, campaign settings they've released. There's one that's just animal allies. And right now it looks like they're on sale. They're selling them all for $4 a deck or selling most of them for $4 a deck, whereas normally they sell them for ten ninety nine. Wow. I got to go shopping. <laughs> don't, yes. don't, don't tell yes. my wife. It's your fault. 
<laughs> don't tell her it's my fault. No, All don't right. tell her I'm doing it. And if she finds out, it's your fault. Mm, uh, no, I choose to ignore the punctuation you used. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. Has anybody else ever used the face cards? I have. I I'm a fan of them just because it helps keep track. The players keep track of who's speaking in a in one of those big group scenes where you're trying to portray a lot of NPCs, mm. and unless you're uh, a skilled voice actor, which I am most definitely not, uh, it's really hard to make each one distinctive unless there's some sort of visual cue about who's speaking. Yeah, see, this is this is probably why I always just avoid having more than one NPC that, that does a lot of talking. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's usually one main NPC that you interact with, and, and anybody else is just sort of background, you know? Uh, it's hard to keep track of, of who, and, and I don't like talking to myself in voices. It's silly. So. Uh, agreed. That's I think <laughs> tip number one. But uh, when you're when you're forced into a corner with uh, a, a multi-character discussion, mm-hmm. uh, the face cards help a lot. That's a great idea. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go shopping tonight. All right, all right. Uh, so since we're in the vein of cards, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and talk about my next thing uh, next because I'm talking about cards. Uh, mine is also not just one deck of cards. There's actually four different sets, and I have all four of them. They're from Nord Games, uh, N-O-R-D Games. Uh, and so Nord Games has these, the they're, they list them under the category of critical hit decks. Um, but only two of them are actual critical hits, uh, or used for critical hits. The others are the critical fail deck and the luck deck. Um, and the basic idea is this. Every time you roll a 20, instead of doing, following the normal rules for, um, for a critical hit, you instead draw a card uh, off of the, the deck, the critical hit deck. And it has four different entries on each card. Uh, each entry is for a damage type. So there's one for piercing, one for slashing, one for bludgeoning, and one for magic. And then uh, the effect of the critical, rather than following the normal rules, is whatever the effect says on there. And the the cards are set up in tiers as well. So um, if you're lower level, you only use a deck that makes up like half of the cards from the deck. Uh, and as you go up to you know mid-level, you add another 10 cards or whatever. And then when you get to the, the 15th or higher or whatever, you add those last four or five sort of really cra- crazy wild cards that can do all kinds of stuff. Uh, cause, just because that's how they sort of balance things, right? And, and the more powerful things that you hold off until higher level, there's a lot fewer cards of them. Like the most powerful one, there, I can't remember now if there's three or four levels for each one. Um, but the highest you know, craziest criticals you could pull off um, are there's only like four cards that end up in the same deck. It's not like separate decks. Uh, you're, you're just adding the higher level stuff into the deck that you were already using. And so the deck just sort of gets bigger as you go up in levels. Um, and some of the stuff is, is stuff like, you know, oh, your critical hit did normal damage, but you slashed above their brow and now the blood coming down on their face, they're blinded for, for a turn or whatever. Uh, uh, and then some of them are like, no, you just did a bunch of damage, right? Um, my players last weekend, um, they had an opportunity. I, I went into the session knowing there was a chance that these 12th level characters were going to go up against Orcus, right? Who's supposed to be well outside of their, their, their weight range, right? Uh, or their weight class. 
And that's what they ended up doing, right? Rather than taking the other five different options presented to them on how to solve this problem, they, they chose the option of, no, we're going to go kill Orcus. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the only reason they won that fight, and, and with only one death, I'm pretty sure the only reason they won that fight is that um, one of the characters got two critical hits, like, within three rounds, and on both of the critical hits pulled out a card and it did quadruple damage, right? And so two quadruple damage hits from our optimized player, uh, and so his character was already doing lots of damage, ends up, like, being enough to almost take out Orcus by himself, <laughs> and then everybody else sort of put it over the top and finished it. Uh, so it uh, it has those, those, those crazy things that can happen, but it also has the... Um, the the more flavorful things that can happen. Oh yeah yeah. Uh, I hit I hit one of the in the middle of the Orcus fight. I hit him with the uh, the you know Orcus's the what is it the the wand of Orcus or whatever it is, which is really just like a giant mace, right? It's a it's a big rod with a skull on the end, and Orcus slams him with it, and, and I get a crit and I pull it, and it's normal damage, which you know okay disappointment. You know Orcus didn't get to smash him into paste, uh, <laughs> but the uh, the effect was. Uh, you forget the the last D6 days, like memory loss from being smacked in the head with this bludgeoning thing, right? Which which adds an interesting sort of flavor. Okay, you just lost your memory. Although you're in this room and there's all your friends and Orcus is trying to kill him. So, you know, you at least know what to do for the immediate future. But now you don't know how you got here or what's going on or, or any of that, right? Because you got knocked in the noggin. Uh, they also have a critical fail deck. It's the same sort of thing, um, only for a roll of one. The I said that there's two critical hit decks. That's because there's one for players, and there's another one just for GMs because the crazy wild things that it's kind of fun for players to do is a lot less fun when it's happening to the players. Uh, and so the, the GM one um, isn't quite as swingy. Uh, it doesn't go quite as, quite as wild, but includes a lot more of the flavor sort of stuff like that. Um, you know, and it's got things like hitting them on the head and making them lose their memory, which wouldn't be as meaningful if you did it to a monster because it's just a you know ravenous beast who's there to kill everything. Uh, do you? Yeah, go ahead. Do you use these in all your games, or do you use them for when you're attempting to get a certain tone? No, since since I got them, I've used them in all my games, um, and and that's been like about a month now. So it's been three games. Um, three or four games we've used them and they've gone pretty well. Um, I don't know. I don't feel like they're evocative of any specific tone that I would like, oh, if I want to do something really gritty, I would do this. Or if I'm looking for something really heroic, I would do this. Because it, it can happen to the players as much as it can happen to the DM. And if nothing else, probably more because I'm rolling a lot more attacks because of all the monsters that I have, uh, than the players are, um... So I don't know that it, that like it if anything it makes things go faster because you know occasionally you'll pull out a quadruple damage card um, which are rare um, you know that player just got really lucky to pull two in one fight um, but yeah so so no I, I guess I'm not pl- thinking about a specific tone at this point I might uh, in the future depending on on my experience using them more though. Uh, and then the fourth deck that I hadn't mentioned is their luck deck. They have a luck deck that has both lucky cards and unlucky cards. Uh, and it, it's intended to be used anytime you roll a d20, but it's not an attack. So there's no such thing as a critical hit on a skill check or whatever. 
but if you roll a 20, you pull a card from the luck, uh, a luck card out of the luck deck. If you roll a one, you pull a, an unlucky card out of the luck deck. Um, and that come, that's come up a few times where, you know, somebody rolls a one, they pull out a card. Oh, take a, a minus D6 on a save of the DM's choosing, and then they have to hand me the card, and it sits in front of me. And at some point, you know, um, when when Orcus tries to, to do something horrible to them, and they're like, oh, I just made that save. Uh, actually, no, you didn't, you know? <laughs> so I can throw that card back at them. Some of them, I like that some of them... Um, give a little bit of narrative control to the players. Hey, you, you got really lucky at this time. Uh, so you get this card, which allows you at some point in time to to change a little something about the story, right? And it's pretty vague and it's pretty broad. And so I don't know that everybody's going to really enjoy that. Uh, but I have a campaign right now where I'm trying to get the players to take a little bit of narrative control and, and detail and, and describe the setting a little bit. And so this is an opportunity for like... Um, you know, and it could be something like, oh, you're, you've just gotten yourself into the situation. What you desperately really need right now is a crowbar. Well, play this card. It just so happens I thought about this and put one in my bag before we left for the dungeon or whatever, right? Uh, so it gives them that sort of little bit of narrative control um, that's just a taste of sort of what story games will do sometimes. Um, so so I enjoy, um, I enjoy, I've been enjoying these decks. Uh, they're $15 a piece right now. Um, I, I found them in my local game store actually right before before the holidays and, and picked them up and I've been playing with them since and so far so good. Nice. In the early days of the hobby, there was a, a fad or a, mm. a trend towards really gruesome deaths and maimings on critical hit tables, and this this deck seems like it avoids the hazards of that kind of. Yeah, it doesn't go. Death. It doesn't go. Yeah, there's nothing insta death. I mean, quadruple damage from the right attack can can effectively be. You know, if Orcus pulls a quadruple damage, then that's pretty much insta death, right? Um, but I don't know that that card even exists in the GM deck for to do that quite that much damage. Uh, I've done triple damage a few times though, and it's been it, it can get pretty gruesome. But yeah, no no auto instant deaths, which is kind of. Out of vogue for for fifth edition anyway, right? Absolutely. So hit you with a lot of damage. Have consequences if that damage kills you, but nothing this less like make this save or you die. Although Orcus did pull off a power to kill once or twice, so that was that. It is still occasionally a thing, but for the most part, not much of a thing in fifth edition. You know, sometimes though the mere threat that there could be an insta kill out there makes a. Uh adds a certain piquance yeah. to uh, the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Those players were shocked when I told them, hey, how many hit points you got left? 75? Okay, you're dead. Wait, where's my save? Oh, no, no no save. <laughs> you're under 100 hit points. I cast power to kill. Uh, you're dead now. So there you go. All right. Uh, and so that is my cards to talk about uh we'll move into our last accessory which is another one that is i think outside of the um created for gamers accessories so Paige, tell us about these candles you're using for concentration so i dm a lot i dm more than i play and uh it's always hard for me in the midst of keeping track of every freaking thing else going on 
to remember that the bad guy is concentrating on invisibility, which means I can't also put a crown of madness on somebody. Mm. Or that the cleric is concentrating on something, spirit guardians, so whenever any of the PCs hit him, they, you know, he has to make a, a, a con save or drop the spell. Mm. And on the rare occasions I do play, I play a lot of um, bards and sorcerers, so a lot of spellcasters that have great spells. So I forget that I'm concentrating on a spell, which is easy to do with everything else going on at the table. And I saw somewhere on the internet, and I no longer remember where, so I don't know whom to thank. Uh, the idea that you take one of the little led battery operated tea lights that you can find on amazon or anywhere in the world and you turn it on put it in front of you and you turn it on to remind yourself visibly that you're concentrating on a spell they they work great they absolutely work great i almost i i haven't forgotten that i'm concentrating on something since i started using these things uh on on a consistent basis they're super helpful um, to the point where uh, my husband and I do run all the, well, all of the Adventures League for Dragon Con, which is a huge convention in Atlanta every fall. And we have 70 DMs working for us or something like that, between 60 and 80 DMs working for us. And I buy them all at least one concentration candle because it's like, hey, this will absolutely up your DMing game. It will it will just help you remember that one thing in the middle of everything else you're doing. And uh, so the the practice of using them has kind of spread around. Mm. And it's just, it's simple. They're super cheap. It's easy to put one in your dice bag. Uh, the TSA, usually you have to ask you what exactly you're going on with it because they're always a little confused. Um, not that the contents of my game bag doesn't absolutely mystify them anyway. I'm throwing a fancy tea party wherever I'm going, and I need these tea, these candles. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they see, like, the tea candles and the dice and a bunch of magnets put together with headphones wrapped around them, and it looks like an, something you shouldn't bring on an airplane. So, but regardless, uh, they're super helpful, and I recommend them to everybody. It's just a cheap, easy thing you can add, like the macrame rings, to your game kit that will absolutely up your game. Very good. Excellent. So we've got all kinds of stuff uh, to, that people are going to have to go out and go shopping for now. And it, it's so addictive when you're talking about these, these smaller sort of accessory sort of things, right? Because um, it's so easy to just go out and, and spend a little bit and get all these little things. And it, it doesn't feel like, you know, uh, you're adding this massive thing to your library, Um Anybody? Anybody hear anything that they got to go out and get tonight? I know I got to go get concentration candles. Have me intrigued, and I got to get. It's these not at all cards. what I was expecting when I saw the concentration candles in an outline, and I understand now why I when I googled concentration candles, nothing came up. Right. Yeah, no, it's literally something I saw on Facebook, probably in the D&D 5th edition group, probably three years ago, which means there's no way you'll ever find that post again, <laughs> ever. <laughs> Uh, but I'm really interested in using these macrame rings because uh, I use the Arknight templates, mm. uh, but I, I don't like traveling with them a whole lot because I'm just going to bend them. So mm -hmm. these macrame <laughs> rings sound like they're a little sturdier for traveling. Yeah, Arknight is one of the one of the accessories I, I was 
really tempted to talk about and then decided uh, in the interest of time, which it turns out it's a good thing. We're over a little bit over an hour now. Uh, I decided to leave it off for now, but I might come. Mike Shea and I talk about them regularly. He got me hooked on them. Um, and so I, he actually curated a set for them as a sort of a starter set. And I ended up buying his uh, curated set. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is really useful and now i've used them a few times at my table and i can i can see myself adding to those uh and adding maybe spell templates and that kind of stuff but the the wire and the macrame rings sort of already at the right size that i mean that's even easier right and i'm a fan of the litco tokens but mm-hmm. i hadn't gone to the site in a while so i didn't realize you could get a dragon mount and <laughs> i might need to just get that just, just in case it comes sake. up yeah the yeah. raptors man the raptors are perfect for all the stuff going on in Chult right now. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in Chult right now. <laughs> Where in Galarian is Chult? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you and your heresy. <laughs> uh, and and meanwhile, speaking of heresy, the the thing that in- intrigues me the the most at this point is is the face cards that you mentioned, uh, Ryan. I kind of yep. I kind of wish like I like the idea of the little card tray that you've got. I wish there was like a little card tray like that that I could like attach to the top of my DM screen so I could sort of have the cards sort of sitting up there uh, easy you know to what? find so is that is uh, that a thing that exists uh, sort of so um, Para my co-host on No Direction uh-huh. he... my, one of, my roommate a few years ago at Gen Con yeah oh that's right uh-huh. so something he does when he's jamming is that he will clip the name of the well he'll do his initiative tracking on the top of his jam screen yeah I do that and it'll just be the name on a card that's like clipped on there which would also work perfectly for the face cards i don't remember what he uses i will try to google that quickly though i I will use binder clips to clip pictures and cards to the top of my uh dm screen so that uh players can see them Mm -hmm. yeah no yeah my mind started running through all kinds of sort of uh DIY stuff I could figure out. I just it, it just occurred to me though, somebody in the gaming industry has to have made a little thing that I can just sort of set on top of my screen that's already the right size and and then has the little slot where I could do it do it automatically. So I was just curious if that was a thing anybody knew about, but apparently not. It's a it's a new million dollar gaming idea because there's a lot of those right ideas that will make you a million dollars in gaming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Elderwood Academy is probably on the way to making a million dollars. There you go. All right. So uh, I guess we're going to wrap up the episode at this point. I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Noble Knight. I also want to thank Paige. Paige, where can people find you if they want to find out what you're up to? Uh, The best way to get a hold of me is either to look for me in the 5th edition Facebook group or to grab me on my Twitter, which is at Paige Lightman. There you go. Uh, David, thank you for coming on. Where should people go to find out more about you, or, or where can they find your blog? You can read my posts at dmdavid.com, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at dmdavidblog. There you go. And Ryan, you are way, way more famous than me, so we probably don't need to tell what? people where you are, but but what, why don't you tell us anyway? <laughs> Justify that statement, first of all. Oh, oh, oh are you kidding your your uh, your podcasting empire is is way bigger than my podcasting empire these days. You're the Tome Show. That's true, I am. But but you've been you, doing this for fifty you, years, Jeff. <laughs> it's about that that long, yeah. You were the first podcast. Period. period all right, of well, all the podcasts. 
People can check out No Direction Podcast, all one word, and it's K-N-O-W, like the druid spell, dot com. Or we've got a pretty active Discord chat right now. So if you go to that website, we've got a giant Discord button. I invite people to click on that and join in the conversation. There you go. And uh, I also want to thank our sponsor, our patrons from Patreon, uh, our Patreon Patreon pat- patrons who join us from patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Support the show uh, and help us do this all the time, uh, every uh, every month or so, uh, so when they get. They get to throw in their dollar a month or whatever it is to support us. Uh, and they also sometimes get a little bit of uh, extra heads up about what we're thinking about doing. When I'm sort of like, oh, what what new class are we going to discuss this month or whatever? Then they, they're the ones I go to, to for those, those decision-making um, moments, right? Or, hey, these are the four things we're thinking about reviewing. What do you guys want to hear? Well, this month it was accessories. That's what they wanted to hear about. So here we are. Uh, so if you want to join in with that, you should also go to patreon.com slash the tome show uh, and contribute what you can. I also want to thank everybody else who supports us in other ways, like by using the Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links that you can get to from thetomeshow.com. Uh, you get the exact same service from DMs Guild or from Amazon, and we get, you know, just a little cut of, of whatever you spend uh, for having sent you there. You can get a hold of me. I am at the the Tome Show at gmail.com. Uh, I am on, on Twitter. I am at S-Q-U-A-C-H, at Squatch. Uh, uh, the show is at The Tome Show. You can call us at 919-BIZ-TOME, 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And that is episode 297, where we went shopping and came home with a huge armload of new gaming accessories in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. You don't dress up to play D and You don't dress up to play D and You don't dress up to play D and unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D and You don't dress up to play D and You don't dress up to play D and unless you want to, like me. You don't think we fancy? Let me teach you about class. Priest, fighter, road, catch a kick your ass. You don't think we street? Look at this table full of ice. You don't think we hard? Just touch my dice. You don't think we can get it at the birds and the bees? I'm a pallet in the suits, but a thief in the shoes. My character shoots because they fold to the brim with maxed out sass out to open my DM. He think he in charge. We don't worry about him. So for when he has to get us, be like Jack the Swim. Master player, traitor, master creator. Look at me, master NPC generator. Just because she a master doesn't mean you have to hate her. Got a boy. I don't need to be no master later. I don't care if over there your character is dying because it's just like baseball. There's no crying. You want to join in? Now you start realizing we're the cool, cool nerds. Call me Neil deGrasse Tyson. D to the R to the A gun S. D and D. The dungeon master sets up a scenario. Then he or she asks, where would you like to go? We talk as a group, then decide together. There's no winning, yo. We could play forever. Stay right there. Let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. Stay right there. Let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. You don't dress up to play D and Don't dress up to play D and You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. Like me, you don't.
dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. Like me, you don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. Like me. I'm on the wall.